Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Adjust Your Tracking is part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can uh, find us and our other shows if you just look it up on your podcatcher of choice, uh, the Playlist Podcast Network, or you can find us on theplaylist.net. Uh, house cleaning's out of the way, Joe. Uh, what are we? What are we up to today? What are we? What are we chatting about? Well, I think this episode might be like a bit of an addendum to a a couple episodes ago where we talked about like the state of foreign film releases, um, kind of art house releases. And, um, the two we're going to be discussing are Yorgos Lanthamos's new film, which is, you know, it's opening like bigger than most tiny art houses. Um, but his new film, the favorite Mm -hmm. and shoplifters, a new Japanese film, uh, that has made the festival rounds and is like a, a kind of a, a critical darling. It's a, did, what, how did it do at cans? It won, Palm. it won the Palm door best picture. Big deal. Very big deal. Uh, so like with like these, these movies have a certain amount of like, you know, momentum behind them and, uh, in critical interest but looking at the box office from last weekend, um, the top five movies, at least four of which, like you and I have not seen uh, four of the films. The fifth movie in at number five was Widows, which we discussed last episode, mm. which I thought would do better than it did. It's still number five, which is great. You know, it's a it's a good uh, battle cry for adult themed movies, not porn. Um, and the other four are things that we haven't seen, and I'm guessing have no interest in seeing. True. One, uh, Instant family, huh? <laughs> I look forward to skipping that on an airplane in the near future. Bohemian Rhapsody at number three, the sterile queen biopic. The Grinch at number two, and at number one, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Ugh. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Close um, none, none of them have great like, critical reception necessarily. Mm-hmm. All pretty like lukewarm to negative. Um, yeah and no one I don't hear anyone talking about these movies but they are the top grossing movies that keeping the box office afloat and um, you know this has been like a pretty busy successful year in terms of like box office returns Mm -hmm. and um, but it's oftentimes with films that like you and I have no interest in and that no one seems it doesn't seem to be driving any conversation and so we have two movies opening up you know, uh, this weekend in Los Angeles and, you know, opening wider in the coming weeks in Portland where you are, Eric. Um, and you know, like definitely Yorgos Lanthamos with the favorite, like he has like, like he has a crossover potential, um, with a lot of his movies, especially with the lobster. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be like that movie I think was the hook um, that allowed him to become like not as if not a household name, like a known name, and people be like, "Oh yeah, that movie. That movie was crazy. Never saw it, but I heard weird things about it." You know, so like that that movie with its kind of crazy hook allowed him to become more of a known property. Mm-hmm. And so with this movie, you know, uh, coming on the heels like a year later of Killing of a Sacred Deer, which <laughs> like 
his follow-up to the lobster is like just perilously dark and like <laughs> demonically funny, but just like so nihilistic and like punishing, but like not, not in a way that's unrewarding. Like mm-hmm. there is something that is kind of like humanistic and thrilling about that movie in its bleakness. And then, um, he threw me a curveball at least as his fan, because like you, you know, give me a period comedy. Um, and I know anything in the past is considered a period, whatever. Right. But, but the costume is- drama thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. So this is when people say period piece, or at least when I say period piece, I'm thinking of this, this look. type of thing. <laughs> yes. Powdered wigs, uh, merchant ivory decor, um, just all of the Barry Lyndon, basically yeah, like, yeah. no, 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 thank you. Um, but as soon as I knew, uh, this was his project, I was like, okay, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. This is like it. I am allergic to this almost out the gate. But like, once I saw like, you know, the trailer, I was just like, this is his sensibility, like all the way. And like, even Barry Lyndon, even though I'm using that as an example to establish my allergy, like that's Stanley Kubrick. And I think that like, not just the, the level of wigs and costumes, but they're not like they're, they kind of parallel each other a little bit. Filmmakers, because there's something kind of cold, stately, detached, elegant about them while still presenting a very kind of grisly depiction of humanity while like a, there's a struggle for a humanity amidst the grisly reality of our tendencies. Mm-hmm. So I think like Yorgos Lanthamos, like, you know, if he doesn't directly cite Stanley Kubrick as an influence, like it was certainly on screen and killing of a sacred deer. Yeah. Just in how it's framed. And like this, his new film, um, the favorite uh, is like, it's it's so overtly hilarious like <laughs> from from the get-go and like such a such a strong cast and such a such a like such an elegance to the technical qualities of the movie mm-hmm. um that it's it's hard not to to fall for it immediately despite not liking powdered wigs I think the Barry Lyndon comparisons really apt. The Kubrick comparisons are there with, with his previous movies and something that I remember sort of shocking my system when I finally did see Barry Lyndon for the first time, it's like five years ago or so is actually how funny that movie turned out to be or <laughs> sort of slyly funny. Like you on the surface, you could watch it and it seems very much in that merchant ivory, even though it precedes their films, but like it's in that mold. I know what you're talking about. I have a similar allergy to this type of movie, but Barry Lyndon always sort of surprised me. And it's just got this sort of like, it's, it's very revealing that like of Kubrick's sly sense of humor. And it's running throughout that entire movie. Um, kind of about this buffoon that just like sort of winds his way through up the upper echelons of society. And just like through no skill, really, he just sort of like, does it, you know? And, um, I always thought that was really funny. Um, but the favorite I think takes that, but then just makes the humor that much more overt and like, like bursting through the surface. Um, and it's, it's got an energy to it that I'm guessing that's part of what you must've locked into even right away. Like you're coming into this type of movie, you're not a fan. So like, this is already an uphill battle for you, but, um, yeah, I guess I want to, toss it back to you and see like what was it that like got your hooks got its hooks in you right away with the movie because it is like so blazingly entertaining and like fun and you can't i understand if some audiences have not found yorgos previous movies to be fun but Mm -hmm. you know you and i i think would would say otherwise but um this one feels like a more overtly just entertaining piece um but yeah i don't know what was it that that uh that just switched on for you with it I think it's the clip of like the the interplay between the characters, the dialogue comes like so fast and like the the writing is so kind of like startling because it's so composed and poetic with the the era that they're speaking in, but it's also base and vulgar at times and that uh <laughs> that melding is so like thrilling to watch, you know, like just the playfulness with the language. 
uh cunt struck was <laughs> that was a, a term I was like is that a term is it coined just for this movie uh like it was it was really startling and it sent like a, a sort of electric bolt up the audience um and yeah i think it's just the like the cast kind of leaning into uh the how electrically charged the dialogue is and how fast it it comes and how playful it is like watching the, the power dynamics, because that's what this entire film is about is about shifting power dynamics and how it just rots people who are attempting like they're whoever you thought was a, um, like a, a possible noble person rising the ranks is like just that very pursuit kind of rots them spiritually. Yeah. And I, so like that, that's just like, it was, it was similar to, I also thought of earlier this year's uh, death of Stalin. Yeah. Yeah. That was like such a mannered postured period piece, but it, it comes with such like, vitriolic speed like there's just so much like uh some there's such a fever to how how fast the dialogue comes and um yeah it's just like that's that was part of it was the the pace but i also like sitting down for this movie knowing the filmmaker i'm watching like it was less an uphill battle than i'm probably suggesting like i may not like powdered wigs but hey i loved elizabeth i love that movie there you go it's a great movie there you go um I don't ride for room with a view necessarily, but you know, give me a second chance. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think those three leads are the, are the, not just the only great performances in the movie, but it's yeah. that it's, uh, this movie is very timely in ways that I appreciate it because it's not, um, overt. It doesn't feel cynical in the fact that Yorgos has now made this new movie with three female leads. It's, it's a lot of what the movie's, um, and the marketing uh, for it, that's a lot of the attention's being paid on it. Like these three amazing lead actress performances or co-lead, whatever you want to call them. And that's a great hook to sell the movie on for modern audiences because sadly still rare that you get a movie where the three main parts are for women. And they, But especially because they're not like heroized in a way that I feel like is becoming the sort of simple go-to for uh if you want to less uh for make lack of a better description like uh female empowerment movies Mm -hmm. the favorite is much more complex it's much more uh willing to show them as deeply flawed people and i always appreciate that in in some ways it reminds me of um our discussion years ago about the Sean Baker movie, Tangerine, where that movie portrayed uh transgender uh actors where they were just like a part of the fabric of life as they are in reality, right? Like there's all, all walks of life out there. If you open your eyes and you, you live your life, you see that. So like I appreciated that this movie just made these women as vulgar, if not more vulgar as um, sadistic as any of the guys. In fact, they are proven to be much better at playing these sort of power games uh, than, than the boys in this movie. And in fact, I, I also loved how much this movie um, if Yorgos is ever, you know, like misanthropic as a filmmaker, I, I don't necessarily believe that when I see his movies, but I do understand how some people might feel that way. What's great is he really turns that on the guys in this movie and like they are portrayed to be buffoons while these three women, Emma Stone, Rachel Weiss, who are sort of jockeying for power and the interest of Olivia Coleman, who plays Queen Anne and uh, you know, she had a short period of power, but like this movie lets those performances like uh, like those that that's the sort of center of the movie that it's built on. But there are all these great little supporting performances. I think you had mentioned you were a big fan of Nicholas Holt's performance in this. Yeah. Every time he shows up, I just like perked up. Like, oh, he's a delight. <laughs> he is. Yeah. And like it's, it's an unexpected performance from him. At least I don't think I had seen that kind of, I guess, vulgarity, that meanness from him in a character. Um, and everybody really steps into that nicely. Um, and I think the thing that continues to be really uh, fun in the development of Yorgos Lanthimos' career, because, you know, from The Lobster on, he he was a director that was putting out, you know, foreign films. He was making films in his native country of Greece with Dogtooth and Alps, and there's a couple movies before that. But now he's he has become accepted into some element of... Uh, 
mainstream movies, you know, like, um, or indie film or art film, because he's making these English language titles that, uh, it's, it's great because it's allowing him to continue. He's found this luck, this great balance of like, he gets to keep doing his weird shit. He's just doing it in a way that, um, is making it more accessible for, uh, an audience here. And it's, exciting to see a director that's like making concessions with their work, but like finding a way to still let it be. It has his signature on it so distinctly. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is also the first movie of his where he's not credited as a screenwriter. So I think that's another element where like, I can imagine that this script uh, and I think it took a long time for him to develop it with the writers. The movie was like in pre-production or being developed for many years before it was actually made. So I'm imagining it must have taken change, had many changes and turns and yet it's still so much a Yorgos movie. Like I love that his signature is all over this movie and it's, it's, it's undeniable. Um, and I think that helps elevate it from what we both have this allergy to, to a very sort of um, stately mannered, you know, bewigged costume drama. He just completely upends all that. And He's he's not the first to do it. He's also not the first filmmaker to um include uh modern like modern dialogue, modern elements, modern music. I mean, there's a dance scene in this movie that is hilarious where they break down into a line and people just start dancing like they're at a party like in 2018, you know? And uh he's not the first director. I mean, the a movie that comes to mind where where that sort of thing happened was something as silly as like a knight's tale, I think, that Heath Ledger movie. Um, where they incorporated modern music into a period uh like knights movie. Um, Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette. That's that's probably a better example, right? And I just think the way he does that in this movie, for whatever it is, he found the like right alchemy, the right balance for it, because that brings this movie to life. Um, uh, you know, besides the amazing performances and all that, uh, it's it's that willingness to China just say, like, fuck reality. We're making a movie. Everybody knows this is a movie. Let's embrace that about it. And I think that adds to the fun as well. Yeah, I think that there there's like a level of detachment that comes with like this kind of posturing from like anything from this period depicting this period. There's like a there there's a playfulness that can come with showing people posed so drastically, you know, the way people prop themselves up, the way people were just so mannered like there there is something that you can subvert constantly with it, you know, in terms of like depicting um the reality of like a, just a, a garden variety scene from today where you have to establish like a credibility with realism and whatnot Uh, with this period. It's like, you can, you could take all of the sort of contemporary um, examinations of like power and the, the like corruptibility of people and like, and stick it in this already sort of like, uh, this, this, I don't know, this like stage play of like properness. And so like it's improperness is like at war with its properness. So it's just like, there's a vulgarity that's at play with like how composed and elegant everything is. And like that interplay and that sort of electricity is really exciting to watch. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I like, uh, I like him. I do too. I mean, he just keeps, finding new stories to tell that feel like a new movie, but it his, his, you know, his style, his auteur stamp is so clear that like, it's, it's, I don't know. It's like, a, it's an exciting thing to see a director be able to continually keep something in their, in their style, but like try different stories out. And I didn't, when I saw Dogtooth, which is the first movie of his, I saw, you know, back when it came out in like 2008, 2009, I didn't, I just was excited by this movie and then who's this director, but I it's, it's really cool to be like, I don't know. I just love tracking and seeing how these um, artists that you might start to really like from the beginning, see like them exceed any expectations you might've had. Like, I don't think he expected that he'd be making movies with like Hollywood actors, but he's really fit in well with, with that. And uh, who would have thought that a guy that has such bizarre concepts, such bizarre story ideas, or, or a style to, to meld so well, but it's like such a breath of fresh air. And, um, I often think like directors that get hyped in this way for having a particular style or making sort of bizarre abstract art films, like 
they often run out of gas. I mean, we were talking off mic about, uh, you know, movies like Southland Tales or uh, a movie that's coming out next year, Under the Silver Lake, where um, in some ways the the receptions of these movies are harsh. The reaction, it seems like, because maybe the previous movie was something that got people so excited. And yeah. it feels like that's the trajectory that happens more often than not, is that there's sort of a come down from that. But I only feel Yorgos is getting better and better with each film. And uh, it's it's exciting. Um, uh, I, I just I, I'm glad that people are like finding his work. I mean, I know we were blown away. Uh, it's the, the Lobster was one of those rare movies where like we thought, hey, it, this could do okay for its for this kind of movie, and then it actually had a really great box office. It made like eight or nine million uh, at the American box office. That's really good for a movie like that um, in relative terms. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it just seems like it's really cool to see an audience find him, and he continues to uh, you know grow as a filmmaker, as an artist. Yeah, the, and it, it's definitely like exciting to watch him draw. Like you mentioned, him working with. Hollywood actors, but like the actors that gravitate towards filmmakers with a vision is always like heartening to see, you know, because yeah. they like there there's a care about the craft and the the artistry of, of filmmaking that like actors who have a, who are of a certain pedigree who have a certain like who have a weight that they can throw around in terms of like what they can get made, what they can get greenlit. You know, it's like, it's good to watch uh, those like actors pair up with directors who they know have a vision. It's like, it's not just like a, a step ladder of like the next big thing, because like you, you watch like the big things like this week, they're not even like worth mentioning again, but right. like the <laughs> top five movies, like, nobody's talking about them and they'll come and go and like, they're fine. You know, like if, if you need a distraction, but like the, the things that will be mile markers of like culture and, you know, like a wor- works of art, not to get too hyperbolic, but like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's heartening to watch actors like, you know, I mean, he's worked with Rachel Vice now twice. Um, Olivia Coleman was in the lobster as well. Yeah. So this is oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 And Emma Stone, like, you know, she's certainly like a very prominent actress nowadays. And like to see her really kind of like find her footing in this movie was like was was pretty was was charming. You know, it was great to watch her like uh, become a disgusting human being by the end of the movie. um, (laughs) Let's let's talk about that part, though, because you, you had sort of alluded to it, is that this movie in many ways is about the corrupting, poisonous like elements of like people that want power and what the corrosive elements of that, like what that does to your soul. I mean, so it's very much analogous to things that are on our minds right now in the culture, in the political sphere. So I I loved how it portrayed that. Like it, it's, it's like the people that it, it's a great movie to teach you or to, sh- and not about teaching or learning, but like, cause that's the beauty of this movie is it makes it also goddamn fun and entertaining that you almost yeah. don't realize you've got like, uh, you've, you've taken away things from it of like, yeah, that you should always be suspect at the very least of people that want to be in charge, you know, people that want to be, uh, in control like it doesn't mean that they're all inherently evil it's just it's worth always questioning that or being suspect because uh there's just there's just commonalities that have existed as this movie shows in its absurdist way that have existed for hundreds and hundreds of years that we're still seeing now play out in many ways and i love that i love parallels from the past to now so it's like a way of like it doesn't make me feel better about our current situation it just helps me understand it to be better prepared for like the shitstorm that we're in you know because we have to keep going on you know with this and try to make it better i just i love movies that can kind of give you your vegetables but it never feels like you're being fed your vegetables a la something like vegetables god damn it last time you said this Why people should eat their fucking vegetables? Why? Why should they feel averse to eating? They're good for you and they're delicious. That's eat a your good vegetables. Point. Well, God. taken from a vegetarian, I mean, you're, you've got a stake in this. But I understand. You're right. It is good for us. We should you've do that. Got I just... a stake in this. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's you know it it doesn't make us feel any better uh, watching a historical uh, uh, sort of reflection of where we're at 
politically, but it does help us articulate how trapped we are. Um, <laughs> and I think that like when Yorgos, like, um, cause we're buddies, I'm just going to call him by his first name. Yori, as I like to call him when we're playing, uh, hoops. Uh, so his, his ability to like conclude a movie brutally is so, yes. uh, incredible like dog tooth like just la- lands like with a hammer strength that's just like holy shit this the end of this movie alps i don't really remember as well as dog tooth but yeah. like uh the lobster s- super like blunt like uh poetic upsetting ending yep. or is it um yeah. and then killing of a sacred deer same thing this movie like you're you were mentioning the momentum of the movie and how like it's it's hard to feel the sort of weight and heft of its um like you know depiction of the corruptibility of people in search of power because the movie's so fun mm-hmm. um but the it lands in this ambiguous upsetting kind of poetic way that you're just like fuck like it like so it, it's not until like the buttoning moments which we won't give anything away about it but mm-hmm. like you're just like it sort of like lands in that ambiguous territory where like the movie is mostly like whiplash fast and fun and then just sort of lands you in this place where you're like ouch okay <laughs> let's yeah, walk you- out into the world with like you know newfound articulation of how trapped we are <laughs> there's a great visualization in that last the last actual scene that yeah Uh, it's a layering of images that is just like, at first you're like, what the fuck? But it's like so bizarre, so absorbent, so like kind of morbidly beautiful. And then it starts to click in like what, you know, what he's getting at. That's the thing I like about Yorgos is he's not so obtuse, even with these weird concepts that like you can follow what he's going for. He wants the audience to understand the weird shit he's on about, um, and I really appreciated that. In some ways, that final montage effect of that shot some, somewhat reminded me of a movie we loved from a few years back called The Duke of Burgundy that mm. had uh, a sequence in the middle where it was like a nightmare, a hallucination where all these butterflies just overwhelmed the frame. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a different creature in this movie. Uh, I'll leave it at that. But uh, yeah, I just I was really just struck by the poetry of the the like the imagery I was seeing. But also, yeah, it's, then you're then it sinks in like. Yeah, what, 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 it's a trap that we're all in. Uh, the The power dynamic is reasserted there at the end, and it's it's troubling. But it's he has a way of just those buttoning moments. I think of Yorgos movies a lot when we use that term. Uh, you know, l- we're always looking for like give us that moment that's like to end a movie on. I think he's, I think he's extremely like so. He's just so good at that. Um, yeah, that yeah. I love I love the way he leaves me. The, anytime I, I leave one of his movies, I'm, there's just so much more to get into, to appreciate, to want to go back to again, which is, again, the polar opposite of most of the movies in the top 10 right now. And uh, yeah, you know, we, 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 uh, we ride for the movies that, that get you talking. You know, these, these are the ones that people should be flocking to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, without getting too far, uh, like uh, trailing off here, I just, I also just wanted to mention what I think is maybe the most interesting part of the movie is um, the visual ideas, the the way it's shot. Uh, and it's the use of like fisheye lenses that really mm-hmm. distort the, uh, the, the frame and it's very noticeable. And, uh, this is a, a, a type of movie that I think is very, um, overt in its style, its style. And like, uh, an audience member that maybe even goes to a couple movies a year could see this movie and be like, it'd be obvious that like, oh my gosh, like there's something different going on here. Right? Like it's very clear that there's something sort of different with the, the, the visual scheme. I love the use of that. And uh, it's cool because he worked with um, a DP. He has not worked with before Robbie Ryan, who shot, I think all of Andrea Arnold's movies like American honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, he's a DP that I love his work typically, but uh, yeah, this was just like an exciting match. And I love the way the style as, overt as um, big as the style is it does really speak to what's going on in the movie like we're following these people in the halls of power but really like they're kind of small in this grand scheme of things but they distort the world around them like everything they do has this lasting ripple effect that fucks over people like everyday people you know and 
I don't know. I liked that. I like that the visual scheme can speak to that and add more to the movie. It's like, it's like it would take hundreds of pages of text in a books in a book to get that across. But in a movie, you can just like, bam, it's right there. And I love that, that middle ground of like art film aesthetics and style, but doing it in a way that like any moviegoer could be like, Oh, I love what they're going for here. I think, I think that's a, you know what it is, Joe. I think it's a very nice gift that Yorgos has given us. What a sweetie. Um, <laughs> yeah, that the fish lens effect is like, it's a really interesting, I would start to notice it when it would like whip pan really fast. Yeah. Like, Oh, the, like the, the edge of the frame is sort of like it's oval. So it's like, it's got this really interesting disorienting effect. Um, commonly identified with a lot of early nineties rap videos, <laughs> like, uh, so what you want and, uh, passing me by, by the far side. So oh, nice. like, yes. clearly he's ahead, you know, he's a, he's a fan of early rap videos <laughs> clearly and Yorgos, you know, so we're, we're buddies, you know, <laughs> you got to introduce me, man. Um, yeah. cool. Well, let's, well, what, it, it sounds like a good natural point. Why don't we pivot over to our other movie? What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. This one is uh, Shoplifters from Hirokazu Koreeda. He's a, a long working Japanese filmmaker, one of the more celebrated directors from that um, from that part of the world. I want to lock into something you said at the beginning. You mentioned a movie that I'd forgotten was in the top five called Instant Family. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it, but from what I read, that's a movie that sort of embraces something that's somewhat new for American Hollywood filmmaking. It's like it's more about like a family is really the people that like that do the work. Like a father doesn't have to be related by blood to their son or their daughter. It's more of like who puts in the work. And that's what a family really is. It's like, it could be friends that you've gotten close with, you know? And I love that idea of like makeshift families, not related by blood. And I think that's a big theme. That's an obvious element uh, of shoplifters, but something that I really warmed to right away with it. And it's a, it's a beautiful little movie. I think we got to dive in. Yeah. It's, it's one that, Definitely, um, I'd, I'd heard rumblings about after it played at Cannes, and um, it never feels right saying the name of that festival, <laughs> Colin. Um, never get a definitive answer on it, but like I heard, like a lot of positive, uh, just rumbling about it, and um, when I just when I settled in to watch it, it was it's one that you know. Uh, there's like a there's a lack of sentimentality um, in terms of its its realistic approach and its kind of its neo realistic approach that still manages to find the the like the notes and the heartstrings to like pull and you know and like it's it's about a, a family that essentially finds each other out of circumstance you don't you're not even handed that initially like you don't know the dynamic between what appears to be a father and son you don't know that they're not related um until kind of further into the movie where you find this sort of group of people who have glommed onto each other out of just circumstantial necessity um and they the the entry point is after you're like uh familiarized with this father-son duo who shoplifts in order to get by, which is what the whole family essentially does. Uh, They find a little girl who's, um, you know, isolated outside what appears to be her house. And she's like alone. Mm -hmm. And they ask her if her mother's around and she just sort of like, she, I don't know how old this actress is, this (laughs) child. She's fucking devastating. Like immediately, like just like without, without doing anything shifts her eyes, like looks and it's just like looks away from them. And it's just like the weight of the, the, the very subtle is so devastating in this movie. And in a way that is not manipulative. And like, that's what's like such a, there's such a mastery at work. I can't remember what we've talked about recently, which had like a similar kind of sleight of hand where it's like, it's not overly didactic in terms of what it's insisting you feel. It's just showing you all you need in order to like access the character's interior life. And it's just like, it's heartbreaking watching these people care for each other and how they, they can't, you know, like they're ultimately limited and flawed as human beings, but they're doing their best and they're just buried in everyday life that is just stacking the odds against them. Right. Right. 
And so like, yeah, watching these performances and like a lot of, um, like actors I've never seen before, like especially the the two the who becomes their daughter essentially the actress I, I mentioned like she just I, I'm gonna start crying like just talking about her just like her little her little run to keep up with her who becomes her brother you know just like their their interplay and their like her attempt to just like make this newfound family happy is just like it's so devastating but not in a way that's like heavy-handedly tragic right it's just like it reveals a, a tenderness about existing and trying to connect with people yeah and i think Coriata as a filmmaker i've always appreciated that about the movies of his i've seen is like they get you you know they'll like i'll often sob at some point in, in his really good movies you know like that's an effect that's common there but i never feel like he goes for the easy treacly sentiment he he gets you there honestly with like like you know he builds the characters up and like this movie shoplifters is especially so um i don't know like it works so well because of like it's like an onion peel movie i don't know for lack of a better description like every time something made you cry (laughs) exactly exactly no it's the peeling back of the layers like this is a great movie that starts out as one thing and ends as a completely other film and uh i i agree like you know a director's naturally going to manipulate an audience to get them to see what they want them to see. That's an inherent part of filmmaking, but there's some, it's all about how you mask the manipulation. I think as a, as especially with stories like this, because he doesn't need to do too much to get the point across. Like there is a subtlety to the manipulation that you, you just feel like you're just taken on this natural journey with these people. You're observing them. You're you're, you're observing this family, which has a, a grandma, uh, and ostensibly a father and a mother, uh, son who's maybe in his 10 to 12 age. And they find this girl, they have a, what you think is maybe a sister who's older, um, working as like a sex worker. There's, there's all these elements of this family that you're just observing, but it has also a real nice sort of forward momentum to it because there's like this criminal element, like it's called shoplifters. Like this family has become really adept at, stealing what they need because they live life on the margins. And there's this beautiful visual, um, just a reoccurring thing is like where they live. The house that they live in is just completely surrounded by new apartment buildings, new condos. You know, you live in LA, I live in Portland. It's a common thing in the cities we live in. You just, you're seeing the old torn down and being built up with everything that kind of looks the same. And I, I loved how that, um, I just loved that element of like, they're just here in this little spot hiding away from the world. And the movie never feels like too claustrophobic too interior. It's just like, it's just this beautiful reoccurring image. Um, yeah. And again, I'm just going to go back to it. It's like the peeling back of layers is like the most exciting part of this movie. Cause if it were just a neorealist observational drama or, you know, melodrama about this family, I was already on board for the first hour or whatever. Yeah. But then it like takes turns and things get so much more murky and complicated, but yet there's this through line of like, these people care about each other. And I kind of love that it gets more complicated, but um, the through line is that like, it's kind of simple when you think about it in the end, it's like the people that take care of each other, that's a family, you know? And, and there are plenty of parents that are, you know, that have kids biologically and they're awful, you know? And um, it's that idea that like, I didn't feel manipulated because I was just observing what I thought was a family. And then when I find out all the other things that change that, I can still remind myself that like, hold on, I got to know these people. Like they're good for each other. And uh, yeah, I just love it. It's very complex, but at heart it's, it's getting across a very simple, beautiful, modern ideas. Like the family is the people that do the work. And I, I just, I I'm going to start tearing up just thinking about moments as well that like reinforce that. And uh, yeah, it's an extremely moving movie. Like I definitely, you know, I cried several times uh, at it. And, and to be honest, as, as we're talking about this movie, Joe, it occurs to me that it might've been a beautiful thematic connection with a movie we're going to talk about next week. Most likely is Alfonso Cuaron's uh, Roma uh, has a similar sort of through line, a thematic element to it of like a family is, 
the parts or the people that come together to make that family, not just the, uh, the biological ones. So we couldn't partner it. We didn't partner it up with that. That's okay. But it's like, I'm, I'm okay with this theme running through movies right now. Um, and I think shoplifters just does a beautiful job of getting that across. Yeah. I think it's something that, you know, is, is timeless just in terms of where we all come from. However, however broken, whatever family you come from, or if you come from a very strong family, like we all come from some semblance of like a family and, uh, sometimes like you, you need to assemble and patchwork together, like the, the support system necessary to get through the world when like the you're, you're abandoned at large. And I I think that like, that's timeless and this finds a way to make it like, you know, a, contemporary and feel urgent and alive and very much like of right now. Yeah. And like, there's so many just great performances, like in the family, um, the, the, the sort of grandmother character you mentioned, uh, oh, she's the, amazing. Yeah. The actress, uh, Kieran Kiki, she passed away in September. I think after the movie got, you know, celebrated at, at Cannes and, uh, She's, she's amazing. She's in several of his movies too. It looks like so yeah, they work together. Yeah, um, but just yeah, the entire cast, that whole family is just like they, it finds these these moments of fragility that aren't overwrought, that aren't you know overly manipulative, and that's just like it. I I think if if anything, like the tenderness it it accesses in human beings is like that's what makes. The movie, like it was, I was like crying throughout because there's no big like, oh no, cries like where it's like a, a there's a few actually, but like the steady trickling cry right. of like my experience with the movie was that like it was as attentive in every moment as like every sort of big arc in the narrative, you right. know. So it was like every moment counted in terms of like it's investigation of like this, the life of these people in this family. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to check out Roma, you know, cause if, if it's a, if it's a spiritual kind of counterpart to this one, like I'm, I'm on board, yeah. I'm on board to weep, you know, I think yeah, in, in a time of, of we were talking off mic about how confrontational times feel right now. And it's not that you need the antithesis of like non-confrontation, especially when we're, it's a, it's a, it's a battle, you know, to sort of exist nowadays, but like we need to, we, I think we need tenderness and an ability to access our vulnerability to see what you know, like unites everybody, you know? And like, this is a, such a human, beautifully humanistic movie mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, yeah, so many, so many great performances. I was uh, reading. I was reading an interview with Corieta just uh, for research uh, last night, mm-hmm. and there's not many of them out there, uh, unfortunately. But uh, in one, he specified that uh, a movie that he looked to with this one was Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, and that suddenly it's like, oh, it all locked in place because there's so much of this movie that I really appreciated subtly, and yeah. it's and it's visual. Uh, it's it's using imagery that's very akin to silent film imagery, and it's more subtle in its style. It's not an an explosion of very um, surface level like, wow, that's different. Like something like the favorite, but there is a beautiful like style to this movie. And and it, something that stood out was a little moment. And there's these little moments in this movie that work so well uh, on a filmic level where um, the, the boy has uh, is running away. Essentially uh, they get caught stealing something at one point in the movie and he takes a leap off of from the, from where the camera's placed. We can tell he's hanging on like a railing and there's a drop. And if he jumps, he'd probably be able to get away because he's sort of cornered and mm-hmm. the camera never leaves that framing. He, then he jumps and your, your heart sinks and it doesn't show you what happened. He gets injured. You find out, but it shows um, he's holding a bag of oranges and the camera just creeps forward enough. And you see the oranges rolling down on the street below. And it's just, it's a simple thing, but I was like blown away by that simplicity of like, you put the camera in just the right space like that. Like that's classic silent film technique. I feel like that goes back to silent film of like, yeah. 
you needed to tell as much as you could in one frame is, you know, that's how you tell a story efficiently. So I loved it because that's a subtle way of like, that was already a moment that had me nervous and tense and afraid because I, I cared about this character, but he doesn't rub your nose in any graphicness. That's just not Coriata style yet. It has almost that more of a deep impact of like, Oh my gosh, I felt that so much more. Um, mm-hmm. I loved little moments like that for sure. Um, I was just really drawn to stuff like that beyond even the amazing performances. You know, this is very much a performance driven movie, but there are these yeah. beautiful little flourishes that I think work so well. There's a, the actress that you um, mentioned played like a, the mother character There's the grandmother character. And then there's like a mother father right. uh, type dynamic. Uh, the mother Sakura Ando is the actress yeah. who was in like love exposure, which I think was one oh, of the yeah. first movies you and I talked about yes. um, you, you, cause you love to be punished by movies. <laughs> and this one was four hours long. So you, <laughs> you were on board immediately. <laughs> um, like her, she like, I was floored by her because like the levels to her, like she has like a, a pretty withdrawn, what you could argue is kind of expressionless in the beginning. You know, she's tired. She's put upon, she works hard. Um, it's like everybody's trying to take care of each other. And there's an initial kind of resistance to taking in this little girl. Right. So she's kind of like, eh, like just center, center home and like watching her reveal herself throughout the movie. Um, like a- after there's like a sort of wall up with her and like seeing it like just subtly come down is like it it's part of the devastating effect of this movie. Yeah. And like just she like she's so just like beautiful in the movie and so humanistic. And yeah, like I just loved watching like that come to life where I just am completely magnetically drawn to this person like revealing the subtlest little glimmers of like discovery. You know, I I would also say a highlight in this movie is there is a, not so much a direct sex scene portrayed, but it's after uh, her and her, you know, partner have sex and Mm -hmm. it's, you know, you learn in the movie that it's like, they, it's been a while for them, right? They've been busy. They've got other things going on, but it's actually sort of articulated by the husband in a really beautiful way. Like we love each other, you know, in our hearts, he basically says, as opposed to, you know, our midsection, he kind of points as he's describing it to, uh, Mm -hmm. to another person, but then they come together and it is so it's, it's, it's this beautiful mix of like, it's deeply romantic and kind of beautiful and it's sexy, but he's what I love about Coriata is he's, I think he's too kind as a filmmaker. Like he doesn't make it leery. He's not leering at it, but like we're looking at two nude bodies after sex. And it's like, that's how you do something with a sex scene in cinema. I think often, you know, those can stop a movie dead because there's nothing else to it. It's not adding anything to the characters, but this is the opposite. This is how you do it. And it's just moments like that. And, and there's a, after, you know, as that scene's going on, it's raining and it's just all this buildup of like the rain becomes very like sexy, you know, like it's spoken of like, oh, I don't know. I just all these elements make for these sequences that like don't appear to be like big moments, but they feel like it because of the care and the like nurturing going on with the characters. And I just think like that's Coriata as a director and, and uh, you know, it's it's gosh, it's very possible that this will be his introduction to some American audiences. You know, I think, I think this is a movie as great as it is. Uh, it's got a lot of things going for it because it did win best picture at Cannes. It's got, it's going to get distributed, um, here. Uh, you get it, uh, the 21st, I think. Yeah. 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 And then it's going to slowly roll out. I think it's coming to Portland in, uh, in December sometime. So some people might be introduced to this director. He's been going, you know, Go, doing films for for decades he starts uh he goes as far back as like the early 90s and i'm still catching up with him but i just i, I just uh it's another thing of like just being excited for some people to be introduced to this director and like i would just say like go back and if you like this one like there's a lot of there's a there are other treasures to uh discover from from his filmography and he's pretty prolific and uh yeah uh, you know while i don't uh you know, I, I don't expect this to be a massive hit, even though it deserves to be something that I think a lot of people would actually like, and it deserves to be a big hit, but uh, it's just, there's the struggle for movies like this uh, to do well in America, but uh, I do think some people will discover this director, and like, I really I really hope they, they dive in, because 
he's, I don't know, just a beautiful kind of humanist voice. In some ways, I think of him as, um, I think him and Richard Linklater, I kind of link up in my mind a little bit. Very mm-hmm. humanistic filmmakers. They they try to understand people. Uh, they they care about their characters in a similar way. Um, yeah, I hope people discover him because I, I just think he's a great filmmaker. Yeah, and I think out of like you know between the two movies, there's like there's plenty to sort of talk about. Talk about moments and how the you know there's there's buttoning moments and shoplifters as as well where you know like that it's so it's so subtle and then the movie just sort of like drifts out of the narrative and you're sort of left like reaching for the last moments of some of these characters and so there's plenty to talk about in both movies and uh, i think you know that's that's something i you know i like doing with you buddy and um it's something that uh, nobody seems to be doing about the top five movies at the box office. So, so next episode, we're talking about The Grinch. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. No, never. Never on AYT. <laughs> I like talking with you too, buddy. That's what we're doing here, you know? That's, you know, we, we obviously love going to see movies, but like, what else are you doing it for? If, if, you, if you see enough of these things, like you want to be engaged by them. And, uh, uh, you know, we when you start to watch a lot of movies, like it's harder and harder to be hooked, to be engaged for something to really grab you. And, uh, you know, it's not too hyperbolic. I hope to say that like, they, these are the movies that like, there's a reason we're that excited about them. Um, so yeah, talk about these things, damn it. Go see these movies and, and have a chat. It's, it's, it's good. Talk hard, talk hard. Exactly. So, all right. What do you say? Should we wrap this one up? Yeah, let's do it. So just chill to the next episode. Episode 191 of Adjust Your Tracking, creeping ever so closely to 200, my friend. I think it's I think it's going to be 2019 before we get there, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we're making episodes, dude. I know. Let's slow down. <laughs> Never. All right. So, yeah, you can find uh, all of our previous episodes and those of our other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network. Just go to theplaylist.net, click the podcast tab. Uh, and again, find us on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, if you just look up the playlist podcast network, uh, so subscribe, rate, review, pass it around to people. That'd be very helpful. You can email us if you want to talk to us directly at adjust your tracking. Um, just go to at adjust your track. Oh, good Lord. Adjust your tracking at gmail.com. Um, and if you do any of that, especially, you know, sharing, sharing the show, that would help us. I'd be very thankful, but, uh, nowhere near as thankful as I am to get to talk with you, Joe. Thanks, Eric.